brought it up, so I have to ask. Uh, based on your analysis, uh, is China imperialist? Is the Belt and Road Initiative part of this same exercise of uh, economic privileges that allows a country to gain more than they would otherwise through their financial and imperial power? Um, it's a spicy question, I know. Yeah, sure, sure. No, and uh, again, this could obviously go on, um, go on a long time, but I think because the the left is all too often taking what I think is the wrong view on this, it's important to spell out a couple of things. Um, to characterize China, I think you have to look at the historical context. And I, I do this to some extent in the book, but you know, I, I've got on my blog, there's an article called China and US Power, which goes into more detail. So I recommend people look at that if they want uh, a bit more of the background. Um, essentially, the historical detail shows that, you know, for 100 years, China was carved up and fucked up and dominated by the imperialist powers, right? Even with the Versailles Treaty after the First World War, major powers told China to get lost. We're going to hand a bit of your country over to the Japanese, and we're going to let different other countries do what the hell they like, right? And it was only um, with China having a successful revolution by 1949 that they managed to get rid of what they call, you know, a hundred years of domination, right? Uh, basically, since the Brits screwed them up with the opium wars, you know, from the, the 1940s. And in the process, you know, ended up getting, grabbing Hong Kong, you know. So all the crap were Hong Kong, and actually this is, you know, a little aside here, but all the garbage about Hong Kong democracy, the Brits couldn't give a shit about Hong Kong democracy when they had their governor general in charge of the whole thing. There's no fucking one man, one vote in <laughs> Hong Kong under the British, right? right. Forget it. You know, it was an oligarchy run by the Brits. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's good to point out because that the Hong Kong yeah. democracy rhetoric is used very often to attack China as though uh, they're oh, yeah, beyond yeah, the bounds. Yeah. Um, so China was a poor country dominated by imperialism. Now it's a less poor country in a more powerful position and – Basically, in with the 1949 revolution, they managed to push away a lot of that domination. But the problem is, you've if you want to develop, it's hard to do that, turning your back on the world economy. They tried in a fairly uh, crazy way, you know, the Great Leap Forward and stuff like that. Um, and through those decades, they had all kinds of political turmoil and, you know, disasters. And it led up to them having to do a deal with um, the major powers from the 1970s 
largely dating from the Nixon visit in the early 70s. So you had, you know, Nixon meeting Mao, basically. And then there were tentative trade and investment deals that the Chinese did with imperialism, and it led to much faster growth and development, especially from the 1980s. But I would stress that although, yes, there are capitalists in China, lots of small ones and also some very big ones, the economy is still basically managed by the state and via the Communist Party. And the capitalists, they've got some room for maneuver, but not that much. And if they step out of line, they get smacked. Just look at what happened to Jack Maher of Alibaba, right? He got too big for his boots and told, shut the fuck up. And um, basically, um, you know, got pulled back into line. So I don't think that the law of value, whatever you want to call it, operates in any meaningful way in the Chinese economy. Um, the world market has an effect for sure, but it's mediated by um, the state, which has enough political and economic resources to do so. Because what they've tried to do is protect themselves against what they knew full well is a bunch of predatory powers that will pounce as soon as they can. Right. Now, for a whole long period, actually, and this was part of the logic behind the Nixon-China visit, um, the U.S. had a view backed up by reality of the Chinese being um, someone who will help them out to have a dig the Russians. And they did, <laughs> for example, in Afghanistan. So the Chinese supplied some Islamic radicals from the Xinjiang region and gave them support to fight the Russians in Afghanistan. Worked out a treat, didn't it? And when they came for home... For everybody. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when they came home, that started causing China a whole lot of trouble in the Xinjiang region. And since then, you know, the U.S. has been the great savior of of the Muslims of the world. Sure, yeah, of yeah. Course. Condemning the gulags and concentration camps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've had all all the garbage, right? Um, so I would say that the the ruling party political group, whatever you want to call them, in China, is basically nationalistic aiming to defend the country from imperialism, I would not call it a ruling capitalist class or the nonsense notion of state capitalism that doesn't make any damn sense. And it's a distorted view from the fucked up view of Bukharin back many decades ago. 